Hello friends, my name is Drew Mark McGowan and welcome to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia. This podcast was funded by the National Lottery Community Fund and Epic Projects, or the Ecumenical Project for International Cooperation, who are a US-based non-profit organization. If you're curious, go to their website, epicprojects.org. So, our guest today is the athletes, makeup artist, and BDA Dyslexia and Dementia Ambassador, Adele Tracy. She's represented Great Britain at different age levels for more than a decade. In fact, she's been uh, in the athletic industry for 20 years, and she's the current 800-meter national champion. And since the recording of this episode, Adele has now officially become a Jamaican athlete. Many congratulations to her. She will be competing at the Commonwealth Games in the summer and at the Worlds in Eugene. She was a torchbearer at the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony and was picked by Dame Kelly Holmes to light the Olympic cauldron. As always, this is a podcast to support the brilliant work of the Dyslexia Foundation. Their mission is to unlock the full potential of dyslexic people so that they can succeed and contribute fully to society. They do incredible work. They test any adult off the street and they teach them to read for free. And they also have a free online screening tool which you can use to assess yourself or a loved one for dyslexia. As you will hear, I had a lot of fun speaking to Adele. It was really fascinating to get an insight into her process as an athlete and how important the creativity of being a makeup artist is uh, to to alleviate some of the the stress of being an athlete. So when this comes out, please um, send send messages of support, you know, um, and and watch her on the BBC um, if you're in the UK at the Commonwealth Games. Here it is. Hello, Adele. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, yeah. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm well. I'm really well. I'm really well. I want to uh, dive into 2012, if I may, when you were uh, a torchbearer and then you lit the Olympic cauldron. How, how did that come about? What was that experience like? Um, did did that literally ignite the flame uh, for you, uh, the, the the dream, as it were? Or was it before then? Yeah, gosh, um, what an experience. It's mad to think now that was, I mean... Well, it's coming up to the anniversary of 10 years, so mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Um, it was an incredible experience. It's something that I almost look back on and it, it feels sort of surreal, dreamlike, um, mm. you know, to be part of something that big and um, and actually not really fully understand sort of um, what, what kind of impact I guess that has um, at the time. Yeah. It's still so incredible to look back on. Um, I'm so, so grateful for Dane Kelly Holmes for nominating me to to have that incredible opportunity, but also um, be part of the 2012 Olympics in that way as well. I think um, you're so right in that it really ignited something in me because um, up until that point, I think I'd made a team when I was 16, but I actually was getting to the point where was getting difficult, more difficult and to, to sort of get to that next step and break through into that senior, um, I guess, ranks to, to, to 
perform internationally. And um, I think that really gave me the boost I needed to sort of remember um, why I started. And, and, you know, everything that surrounds the Olympics is just incredible anyway. So to be just a small part of that um, was super, super special for me. So how did that come about? How, 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 how was it that, um, that you got chosen for it? So I was really fortunate to be a part of Future Stars, which was an initiative um, that Dame Kelly Holmes had set up um, to basically just encourage um, young athletes that were coming through. And then she had um, a sort of smaller group of athletes who were at more of a senior elite level called On Camp Kelly. And that was right. the first year that I'd sort of broken through from Future Stars um, onto On Camp with Kelly. And, and I was lucky enough to have Dane Kelly Holmes as my mentor. Um, I happen to be like the youngest person on that, that sort of initiative. And I think that's kind of where it came from. But to have somebody that you've always admired, like I've always admired Kelly, um, of course. you know, and nominate you to do something like that, it, it did loads, you know, so much for my self-esteem and um, at that moment, so... Yeah, it's incredible. Massively so. Mentors are, are so, so important at so many stages of your life and development. Have you had other mentors that have been similarly um, inspirational for you that have had um, effects on your life in a sort of similar way? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, where you're going through transition periods or, you know, anything, um, you do tend to look for role models in those spaces or, um, to just kind of, you know, see see yourself in that place before you can get there. So um, yeah. I definitely say that, you know, throughout um, my childhood at school, I had an amazing uh, head teacher who was, you know, the guy who actually introduced me to running. And you could obviously see I was struggling at school and um, maybe had needed something else to kind of give me that confidence to bring mm. to my academics. Um, my mum was great as well. Like she's another huge role model for me in terms of just making sure that, um, I did have so many other things going on because, um, of the challenges I faced at school as well. And I think, um, you know, I always remember Mr. Potter, um, at school, you know, he would take us on this sort of, um, running club at lunchtime. And that's really how I first started in the sport, um, was at school and, and, you know, he loved the sport. And I, I think that, you know, made me really enjoy it and actually see running as a really fun thing. Amazing. So it was, it was his love and passion for running. He, you know, wasn't being paid anymore, I would assume, to do this running club. Um, he felt that this would be beneficial for, for students like yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I used to love, you know, running club because I think it even gave me just that little um, bite of time during the day at school mm. to have a breather from, you know, what I found was, you know, quite stressful Um, and actually value exercise in that way as well. I think, you know, Mm. I still look back on it and actually, even when I was going through my GCSEs, even now as a working person, just having that time to, you know, give myself that clarity, um, really put my focus into running um, is really transformational for me. So, yeah. Massively so. I find that myself when I'm doing something stressful, you know, if I'm learning lines or working on a script or what have you, breaking it up with being physical. And I, I really wish I'd done that when I was studying GCSEs or A-levels, whatever it was, um, just to go, okay, you need to move your body now. You've been way, you know, way too headspacey. It need, it's now time to, you know, um, get some endorphins going and, and, and put your energy into something else. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And there's so many neurodiverse people that I speak to that um, find that this is such a benefit to them as well. So um, it's something that I maybe didn't realise I was doing as a child and um, running was just kind of something that I always did alongside school because I never really thought it would be my job. <laughs> so um, I think that's that's probably why now I'm actually like, wow, there's real value in being able to um, just find that clarity and focus from from exercise and moving. Totally, totally. So where did you grow up, Adele? So I actually grew up um, initially in Jamaica, Um I went to uh, school first in Jamaica and I was homeschooled with um, a couple of other kids from my community. My mum actually um, started uh, a school. (laughs) We had some of the parents from the local area and I remember it being so fun and and amazing and it was exactly what I needed because it was that hands-on learning. You know, we would grow sunflowers and measure them um, for maths and and when you're that young, I think it's it's okay to to learn in that way. and when I moved to the UK when I was seven, that's where I kind of first was like introduced to like the school setup in the UK. And it was just so mm. different to what I was used to that initially I don't think it was picked up on that I was dyslexic um, because we just thought, oh, this is really, there's a lot of change. Um, right. But also I think as well, having gone from that way of learning to this more structured, you know, um, exam-based um, sort of way, um that also just created a lot of anxiety for school for me just Mm. thinking you know it wasn't it wasn't fun it wasn't enjoyable and um I found I really was quite shy and introverted as a kid yeah so yeah I think I was diagnosed when I was like eight or nine I was lucky enough to have a specialist teaching assessor at my school and my Mm. mum pushed really hard for that as well because she could kind of see that um something you know was going on um and yeah, I, I found I was dyslexic then. And actually, later on, when I was 14, 15, I also found out I was dyscalculic. So um, that just kind of explained a lot for me. And I think it also um, just gave me a real understanding for like, you know, why I found things and I thought in a different way to other people. And actually, um, I think, and you know, why having that why is so important when you're young, because I think it just means that you realise, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm an intelligent person. I actually just think differently to everybody else. So um, yeah, that was like a real game changer for me, for sure. Mm, Totally. Um, Akala talks quite a lot about the standard of education in Jamaica is, is incredibly high. And lots of Jamaicans have found that when they come to, Britain, the standard isn't as good in in, in many instances. Um, was 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 that part of part of your experience as well? That that, that um, it, it wasn't potentially as um, rich as 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 it was in Jamaica. Yeah. So my experience of school in Jamaica, I think initially I went to. Um, a very good school, actually. Um, it was a French and Spanish school, ironically. Um, you know, as, as someone who's neurodiverse, like learning in a different language, I have no idea right. how okay. I, I kind of navigated that. Um, yeah. And But perhaps that, you know, introduction to language and learning at the same time was the reason why my mum was kind of like, something's not quite right here. And right. um, we also moved around a lot um, as kids. So me and my sister... That's the main reason my mum ended up homeschooling us with um, a number of other kids from the community. And actually, they ended up getting government funding for this school. So it was obviously a very good school. Um, 
So yeah, I think well done, it was mom. just yeah, you know, my mom. Yeah, my mom's yeah, I've been really great at, at that. Um, and yeah, I think that's why, like, you know, it's a real culture shock as well. The the way of learning and the the um, the difference in that going mm. from Jamaica to the UK um, for me. I think that was something, you know, adjustment period, but also just having these um, these learning difficulties that I didn't actually, I wasn't aware of, neither, and nobody else was aware to, you know, help me around me. Um, mm. That did, yeah, definitely, it was an experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's so, it's such a huge wholesale change, isn't it? I mean, uh, I'm going to assume also that the nutritionally, the difference between, like, food you'd get in England versus... Jamaica, you know, you're getting quite a lot of processed food in canteens in, in Britain as well. You know, um, you're probably not being as, as active maybe as you were in Jamaica, probably not as much sunshine. So you've got a sort of sensory deprivation that goes on. Plus, you've got, you know, teachers who aren't as intuitively grasping, okay, maybe Adele needs a little bit of time here. Maybe she needs a little bit more help. So, yeah, I, I should assume, and I am assuming, obviously, that, 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 that those things were played a part as well. Yeah, I think there's some big differences. And I think culturally as well, just thinking about um, the West Indian community and their awareness for neurodiversity and, and um, dyslexia, you know, it's it's there's differences there. And I think um, even now it's something that I'm really interested in, knowing how the school systems work based on um, specific learning difficulties in Jamaica too. But um, I think... I definitely feel like now, as someone with that background, um, it's really important for me to show actually, um, you know, you can be from different communities, different cultures, and actually have these difficulties as well, because I think there is a lot of, um, um, I'm just thinking of the word, um, maybe taboo, I guess, around those conversations as well. Um, so, I think it's about just raising awareness and, and knowing that everyone's had a different experience and come from different places. And actually, um, there's a, everyone is, you know, there's a lot of new diversity in, in, in all of these spaces. So that's really important too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So was it, was it in Jamaica that you found, that you found running? I mean, I definitely, uh, there is a rich <laughs> culture of running in Jamaica. and Of course, um, yeah. I would say, yeah, my first my first memories of running are definitely from Jamaica. You know, I grew up in the hills in Manchester. We call them the hills; it's the mountains. Um, <laughs> running, you know, around barefoot, and and that's something that um, I really think about when, you know, I think about my first experiences in running, um, and then coming to the UK and, um, you know, I guess this you know starting running club and having these different experiences of actually long distance running as well as um, sprinting. I was actually quite quick as a kid. Um, I mm. think that's kind of where I've like merged that two together and found the middle distances. And, and that's my sort of main um, yeah. uh, distances now. I'm, I'm sort of a predominantly a middle distance runner. So, yeah. Did you do long distance running at school? Did you like, you know, the long country runs and things like that? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the cross country side of things was something that I feel like everybody sort of did at school. And yeah. um, I used to enjoy it. I, I found, you know, that difference in sort of navigating different routes each time and running through the mud. I thought it was quite fun. Yeah. Um, now, I still actually do cross country um, once a year if I can, because um, I think it just brings that different sort of side to, to running because actually when you're running on the track, it's 
a lot of situations where it's, you know, um, it's, it's a completely different experience. So, yeah, I've, I've sort of always kept cross country there. My coach um, likes to test me every year. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering about how changing it up and being amongst nature does does that alleviate some of um, the difficulties that arise from your dyscalculia? I, I know you've talked before about you know race day and and, and coaches and, and how they help you with things like times and things like that. When you are out in nature doing things like that, is it alleviated a little bit? You know, if you're in a sort of synthetic um, racetrack, uh, you know, because I know look, we're talking about you, you know you, you're an athlete, a professional athlete. It comes down to those fine margins with you know you're thinking in those those tiny incremental gains all the time. Um, do you notice that difference? Yeah, yeah. There's some there's something um, really. Um... I guess therapeutic about running outside, um, you know, in a green open space. Um, that's something that I really enjoy. Um, and I think that's why I love training at altitude as well. I love being um, on trails and training in the mountains is something I, I really feel like it's my happy place. Um, <laughs> and it just, I think it gives me that clarity to kind of bring to my day, almost that organization level. I feel refreshed. Um, Definitely, it's a different kind of feeling when you're on the track. Race day can be very unpredictable. There's a lot of things that change last minute. It's, mm. you know, timetables. It's, um, you know, you've got to be in the warm-up area at this time, cool room this time. So there's a lot of numbers. And um, that is something that over the years I've had to really practice. And sometimes I've got it completely wrong and things have gone wrong. <laughs> um, but I think also just remembering that everything is practice and you're learning through every experience um, is something that I I really try to kind of um, remind myself because, um, you know, I, I, you can always draw on experience and remember that you've coped really well in a situation when things have gone wrong previously. So that's what I always like to think. But absolutely, um, you know, every day when I, you know, go to the track every week with my coach, you know, there's always a barrier for me. You know, he might say, oh, we've got 1,200 reps today. And I, I literally have to look at him and be like, how many reps is that? <laughs> wow. Because, you know, it's it's breaking it down to 200s. And then, you know, numbers for me, they're almost more challenging than um, letters now because I think I was lucky enough to get that diagnosis early on for dyslexia mm. that I've, you know, had a lot of support over the years. I've found... Um, coping strategies but with numbers that's something that you know always catches me out and it's I think it's also something that really ties into everyday life and especially being um, an athlete um, there's a lot of numbers in running (laughs) yeah no I'm the same I'm the same I think I think like you I was fortunate enough to have my dyslexia diagnosed quite early so and because you know my life is words as an actor uh, the words aren't as much of an issue as numbers I can really feel my brain working five times slower Mm -hmm than everybody else with numbers. Um, take take us through, so what would be your ideal place to train in the whole world? You know, is there, is there a training camp that you went to and when, if I could train here every single time in preparation for a big event, this is this is where I would, this is where I would be. And then the second part of that is, um, this probably isn't fascinating for you, but it's fascinating for us, I assure you. What, what uh, do you have to do nutritionally and in terms of your training, in terms of your recovery? What do you need to do to feel at peak optimum performance level? So there's a lot of places that I really love training in the world. And I feel really fortunate that 
running takes me to these places. Um, but I have to say, one of my favourite places to train at Altitude is Kenya. Um, I've been lucky enough to go to Iten, which is um, about um, eight hours from Nairobi. Um, it's a really small, remote um, location. It's actually um, got a sort of, um, I guess, bridge as you walk in um, with the home of champions over the top. And that's because there's amazing um, Kenyan athletes who have trained there and they've, yeah, they sort of pride themselves on on that um, yeah. culture of running and, and, and uh, you know, distance running, essentially. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a beautiful place to train. Um, and it's very, I think why I love it the most is because everything's kind of stripped back and, and taken back to basics. It's all about rest, recovery, um, eating well, resting, and running. So mm. you go there and you are so immersed in that sort of um, cycle, I guess. And I always come back feeling amazing because it's at 8,000 feet of altitude and you're breathing really heavily for a whole month. Um, so that that feeling when you drop down and you come down from altitude is, is yeah, the best feeling. Amazing. So Nairobi, um, just not too far away from Nairobi. And then, yeah, what, what is, take us through... At that camp, for example, what is it that you need to be eating? Uh, how much prep and, and rest? I mean, and do you have people who treat you when you're there, you know, for like sports massages, what have you? Yeah, so, I mean, really, whatever camp I'm on, if I'm, um, you know, away or at home, my, um, I guess my life kind of revolves around um, the recovery process. So, like, working hard and then making sure that I'm recovering straight away. So, um, a typical training day for me would be um, I'd go to the track in the morning on a Tuesday morning. I'd usually be there for about two hours um, doing sort of short recovery reps, which is like a typical kind of uh, middle distance session. Mm -hmm. um, and then once I finished, I'd try and get um, some sort of recovery on board straight away, you know, within that 15 to 30 minute window after exercise. So that's usually like a protein shake or something um, just to help rebuild the muscles and everything. And then um, I would make sure that I've, you know, eaten within that hour, hour and a half after that window as well. So I guess, um, you know, just making sure you've got enough protein, carbohydrates, um, you know, leafy greens, um, vegetables to make sure that you're um, getting all those antioxidants on board to help recovery. Um, I guess that fibre to just help you um, be efficient and healthy. So it's just really that and making sure my, I'm on my hydration status as well. So just, you know, electrolytes in, in my bottles. Um, and then usually I would go out for um, a gym session. So I'd, I'd do like quite a lot of weights and lifting in the gym. And usually that's around an hour, an hour and a half. Um, and then I'd finish off the day with like a four mile shakeout um, to kind of, it's almost for the next day. So that shakeout is less intense, but it, it just helps clear the lactic from whatever I've accumulated in the morning. Um, and also my body is used to running. So the best way for it to recover is actually by running um, slowly. <laughs> and then sleep, I would sleep for sort of, you know, my usual hours at night, which I know is outrageous, is usually from about eight to 10 hours of sleep at night. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of um, a day in a life. <laughs> and do, do you have any of those like pure rest days? I mean, it's probably not as extreme as like, you know, Mark Cavendish, you know, for those long cycles, he was talking about like, they'd, they'd say you have to stay in bed, arrange all your food around you, 
and just load up the tablet and and that's all they do all day. They, you know, he's just sat. He cannot do anything else except, you know, the expend energy selecting something else on Netflix. Yeah, I think I think it's really individual. So if I was at altitude, absolutely, because there's something about training up there that, you know, when you get to rest day, you are literally holding on and you kind of just need to be in your bed, feet up all day. Um, wow. But when I'm at home, um, because I also work as a makeup artist. Um, of course, yeah. Yeah, I've trained um, in sort of hair and makeup. I, I try to like sort of just you know, do something that switches me off from running. Um, so sometimes I'll work and I'll, you know, sort of do um, anything like in fashion or film and TV, um, loads of different sort of contexts. Um, but it's just nice to kind of switch off and actually immerse myself creatively into something. So I, I quite like that as my sort of downtime on a rest day if I've got a full day off. Um, or, you know, you can do active recovery as well. So like yoga, um, I have this incredible thing, which is, I think it's called a Shakti man. It's like sort of got loads of little spikes in it. <laughs> and I find that really right. useful because it makes me be still. <laughs> so I lie on that for like 10 to 15 minutes. And there's something about the spikes that makes you really sleepy as well. So um, wow. that's that's one thing that I enjoy doing on rest day. <laughs> is that, do you think that's because like habitually you're so used to the pain pleasure paradigm in your life always happening, you know, like, you know, enduring something which is hard and painful. And then when it's over, you, you know, it's like eating, eating something hot. I mean, I, I exercise quite a lot. So I, you know, I, I, I love that feeling so much of, you know, you're in something and you're like, oh, this really sucks. And then when you're finished, it feels incredible. Yeah. So is that little map giving you that sort of pain pleasure Essentially, well. I just think it's um, really great at just making me stop. I, I'm actually, um, I find it very difficult to have one of those days where I'm, like you were saying, you surround yourself with your snacks and just lay in bed. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very out of character for me. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I really enjoy sort of um, purposely doing things. So I think that's why the mat sort of makes me just sit and chill and just be in one place and actually not... Um, be on a mission. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, you can see, dear listener, if you go onto Adele's um, social media, you can see, you know, you'll see um, uh, pictures of her training, but you'll also see her her reels, the her makeup uh, work, which is which is equally stunning. I mean, you know, I've I've been on loads of sets as well, so I also know that there will be hours where you'll be sat on set not doing anything. So you're kind of getting a little bit of a rest there as well. Yeah, exactly. It's not all go, but um, I just enjoy that difference of environment as well. I think that's really important to have something else because sport is so unpredictable and there's times where you might be injured or ill and you're not able to train or race in the way that you'd like. And actually having that other thing um, has been so amazing for me at at certain times. So, yeah. I bet it has. Has it sort of helped your mental health? Because I suppose if you... Now I found this as an actor, right? Is is, is you get you can get way too caught up in um, oh, this this thing, and it, it defines me. It's everything I am, um, and then you have something else that you take that's profound that that gives you meaning that you really enjoy that you can be creative in. So you're not so like oh I'm a runner. This is who I am. Um, it's it's more oh I'm also a creative and I'm talented and I can do this thing. And it also means I'm I'm not in the limelight. I'm sort of I'm helping other people who are in the the focus of the thing we're making. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think I think that's just it. Um, I know for my 2019 season, 
Um, I had a lot of chronic injuries that I I ran through a lot of them. I, you know, pushed a lot of that pain, you know, out of um, my focus, I suppose. And I, I almost lost, um, desensitised myself to, to knowing when to stop. Um, mm. And that was because I was so driven to make my goals. But actually what ended up happening was it just wasn't having fun. And right. I always say, like, I love running. I really enjoy it. And that's first and foremost why I do it as a job. Um, and mm. if that enjoyment's not there, then, you know, there's just no point for me because that's kind of um, my driver for everything is, you know, this is what I enjoy. And I think I sort of got to the point where I was like, you know, I have kind of lost touch with doing more of the things that I like around running. And that's where I sort of reconnected with trying to do a little bit more makeup. Um, I started working with the British Dyslexic Association. I think just having that purpose and meaning um, to other aspects of your life is so um, vital to performing well, because I think, you know, a happy runner is a fast runner. Absolutely. Is that is that a lesson? Because I, I should imagine it's a tightrope that you're that you're walking all the time, right? There might always be a little niggle or something that you're aware of, but I, does that serve as a sort of lesson for you now? Or I, I can't if if I don't listen to that niggle in my ankle or in my knee, it could get to a point where I can't race full stop. Yeah, I think it's really difficult because as athletes, like we always are pushing boundaries, and um, you. You, there's also this really, I suppose it's kind of a bit of toxic culture in terms of um, being tough and, you know, yeah. working through certain things. So um, the problem with that is that when you encounter something that actually you really should stop, it, it, you almost need somebody else to kind of hold you back or um, if, you, if you can't do that for yourself. So um, when it comes to injuries, a lot of the time other people are reacting to what you're telling them. So Mm. That is where I think I just lost touch of what actually pain was and, and you know, just didn't, just didn't listen to my body as much as I should. And I think that's also where 2020 was um, amazing for me to just almost just listen to my body completely because um, I, I couldn't see my coach, I couldn't see a physio, um, sure. you know, sport essentially stopped you know, like for everyone, um, yeah. you know, people weren't working in, but we had to carry on training. And I think just having that ability to say, you know what, I need a little bit more rest or that's kind of sore today, I'm going to back off. Um, it's just allowed me to go forward um, and actually get a lot more out of myself. Um, so yeah, there's there's so much, um, yeah, so much value in in these things that actually are quite difficult at the time, once you've got through them and you've had time to think about how that's benefited you now, I actually feel like I'm so much more in tune with my body. So what are the aspirations that you have within your sport? You know, what is, what, what is the dream that propels you? What is the thing that you, that you want to achieve? I think for me, I always just want to know how good I can be. Um, I think... At this point, um, I feel really fortunate that my body's really healthy, um, things are going really well, and there's tons of championships, thanks to COVID, <laughs> delaying mm -hmm. some of them. So there's so much to prepare for and, and to be excited about. And actually this summer, uh, my main goals are competing at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham and the World Championships in Eugene. So at the moment, I'm just sort of um, prepping for that and and. Luckily, I've run some qualifying times to qualify for those championships. So we'll just see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and 
So did you pick your your coaching teams uh, along those along those lines, along those goals? Is that how that works? So I've actually been with my coach uh, now for nine years. Um, so it's it's definitely something that when I first joined him, I knew I wanted to kind of um, become good enough to make um, senior international teams, be it, you know, competing on a world stage. Um, that 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 is my goal. Because I think, you know, once you get there, then, you know, anything is possible, um, especially in the middle distances. Um, things change so quickly and um, it's a really exciting sort of distance distances to be competing over that um, that's, you know, if you can make um, finals at a world level, um, you know, anything can happen. So um, when I moved to my coach in 2013, um, you know, I said I, I, I'd been at art university for two years and actually never really been in that sort of professional um, environment to, to try and get those sort of results. Um, and yeah, I just said, oh, you know, I want to focus on running a little bit more. I'm going to be sort of doing a bit of makeup on the side in London, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, uh, and he's, he went to an Olympic Games himself. He's coached several Olympians uh, previously. So I knew he would um, be a great coach. But I think something that we've formed over the years is a really great working coach-athlete relationship because um, he just really is amazing at sort of understanding how I tick and um, I think also taking on board um, as a more experienced athlete now um, sort of how I'm feeling listening to to my feedback as well so um, that's been yeah a real journey over the last nine years but it's definitely the reason why I'm now competing um, at this kind of level and and, you know I I definitely wouldn't be where I am uh, without my coach Craig. (laughs) Shout out to Craig. Yeah. (laughs) is that something that interests you or, or is, it, is that a level of, um, you know, because as you say, the complexity of that, you also have to be a sort of psychologist, don't you? You have to be someone who understands or, you know, uh, tries to get into the brain of, of uh, athletes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's coaching and mentoring. I, I could definitely see myself mentoring in the future. I think there's real value and, and particularly... Um, female coaches and athletics there's there's a few and far between so um it's it's definitely something that I would love to work towards one day but I I think it's very difficult when you're competing yourself to see yourself in that position mentoring absolutely um I love training with some of the girls in my group some of them are sort of university age um some of them slightly older but just having conversations and um you know when you've been through, been, I mean, I've been in the sport for over 20 years, um, you forget kind of like what you've, you've learned. And it's really great to like, you know, be able to pass that knowledge on when the girls ask questions. I'm like, oh yeah, I have, I've done that before. And, um, and, and see that they, you know, you might be helping them in some way um, through whatever they're going through because sport has so many ups and downs. Um, So yeah, absolutely. I think there's real value in, in female mentorship. And what are your aspirations as a makeup artist? So it's it's funny because um, I have always said, like, again, I just, you know, I want to be the best makeup artist I can possibly be. And I think that's a similar thing where um, I think my driver is to, maybe slight uh, perfectionism is in, like, getting something, 
you know, as close to the way I want it to be as possible or um, just being able to do something that I've never done before. I think that's that's kind of, uh, that's what excites me. So definitely within makeup, I feel like um, when I have the time to sort of apply myself in the way that I, I can and I have that time and energy, I'd love to actually work um, with a lot more athletes. I think it would be amazing to kind of, fuse those two worlds that I'm really passionate about um where I have been lucky enough to work with athletes before even you know on and training camps and, and races and things and um I just love that conversation and then to hear how those rituals tie into sort of I guess their sport and the way that they prepare for sport and um there's so much in that in that and I really enjoy sort of working with athletes in that way so that's definitely something that I'd like to do more of in the future um for sure <laughs> okay yeah so combining your two worlds makeup and and running yeah, yeah. so do, I mean I'm intuitively gathering that maybe you, you you're, you're not thinking too far ahead it's, it's always about that next race being as prepared smashing it as much as I can and and that that makeup artist job and it's it's not thinking too far into the immediate. Is it just it's the next next race at a time? Yeah, I think so. I think it's um, there's so many little stepping stones that build up to that bigger goal. And I think for me, it's about the bigger picture. So I'm always focused on what's in front of me rather than you know what's you know ten steps ahead. Because um, although I might want what's ten steps ahead, um, there's so much to work on in that moment. And I think that's kind of how I try to. Um, improve each time is just by focusing on what I can sort of do in that in that moment. Yeah, I guess it's it's people like me who who are who are end gaming it way too much, you know, who think who are thinking, you know, you're going to say it's this. I want you know I want the, the gold medal at the Olympics in twenty you know twenty four whatever it is. And uh, from from a human perspective, you've got to go no no no. It's it's you know it's the incremental gains it's marginal gains it's little things the little tweaks i can make it's that it's that recovery program i can get on it's it's because that's more manageable isn't it i think so i think um when yeah when when i've thought about times where i have you know thought too much about the end result um that's become my sole focus and actually i haven't been focusing on what i need to do to get to that end result and i think that's the difference is just um, if I can sort of focus on, I guess it's kind of the process of um, getting there, then it means that, um, you know, I'm not, I'm doing the best at everything that I can do to, to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what are your favourite strategies for, for dealing with your dyscalculia now? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the uh, you know, practical, everyday things, things that you, you utilise? So... I'd say um, I have quite a few apps, um, mainly for like just self-management sort of things like tax and things like that. Yeah. I've got um, this app called OneTap, which is a game changer if you're self-employed and you don't like numbers. <laughs> so it just does all the crunching for you. And I literally just take photos of receipts and it, it does it all from the picture. And, um, you know, that's the amazing thing. There's so many things out there to support um neurodiverse people now um so I love that app I I don't think it's hard when you think about the things that you do because you almost do them automatically um I definitely would say that 
being completely, I guess, being unapologetically um, dyslexic, dyscalculic is something that's real value in. I mean, there's been times where I've felt, um, you know, really uncomfortable with even sort of saying I'm dyslexic or I need just a bit more time here. But it's amazing how compassionate people can be if you just explain and you actually say, look, this is going to take me a little bit longer. Um, Just give me a minute and then I can get back to you. Um, I find that's usually the best way to go because (laughs) when you're under a time constraint or there's that pressure on top of you as well, it it just doesn't help the situation at all. Um, I think time is probably one of the biggest things for me for sure <laughs> sure yeah absolutely i mean with numbers absolutely it's it's uh i am gonna need time i'm gonna need five times longer than anybody else yeah. that's that's for sure and if it's something stressful doubly so you know absolutely so yeah i would say just give yourself time um and always wear an analog clock on your wrist <laughs> if you don't have your phone because um yeah that's just a no-go for me i i still at the age of 29 cannot read a clock <laughs> okay good one that's a good one um yeah i was thinking yeah i need to i've got a you know i watch logs my um workouts and things like that but equally i you know i was thinking i might need to get um an analog watch this just just there just in case it's um it backs up because there is it's way too much of an over-reliance i don't know whether you find that with you know your devices and what have you you can literally they'll can see on the thing i'm downloading the app that she's she's, okay. she's said <laughs> amazing the one tap as a fellow self-employed person yeah the, the the stress of uh december time when i'm doing my taxes is uh oh baby it's not it's not nice yeah, it makes a real difference. Yeah, I just think I can do it as I go. Um, it goes straight to my accountant. So, you know, there's that, not that communication delay. I used to do spreadsheets and there's something about lines on the spreadsheet that my mm. eye just, I mean, I've, I've, I've missed flights in the past because I just need, you know, that that line thing where numbers move for me. So, um, yeah, it's a lot easier on the app. <laughs> yeah. Um. Adele, you have been so kind in giving us your time. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, you've been a wonderful guest. Um, thank you so much. Um, tell us, what, what, what race is coming up um, so that um, our listeners can su- support and, and hopefully send you send you well wishes? This will probably go out in about a month's time. So um, what, what will be coming up? So hopefully um, in a month's time, I hope that I may have qualified for the World Championships in Eugene. Um, I'll be racing 1500 there and also um, hopefully at um, the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. So, yeah, um, I think it's going to be televised. Um, they usually are, so Yeah, they usually yeah. are. The BBC. And, and what dates are those? So the World Championships, I think, start the second week of um, July. Um, okay. So from the 15th to the 25th, I want to say. And then the Commonwealth Games are the first week of August. So I don't know specific dates for those. But yeah, there should be quite a lot um, televised because they're in Boeing. Amazing. Well, I, I, we, I think we will do our very best to try and get this out before then. So people can can wish you good luck. Um, we wish you the best of luck. Um, uh, Thank you. I hope you smash it. Thank you so much for giving us your time. No problem. Thank you very much for having me on.
You've been listening to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia with me, Jude Monk McGowan. My guest today was the athlete Adele Tracy. There are more conversations in this series. Just search Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia, and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And if you want to support the charity or access its many services, go and visit dyslexia-help.org. This podcast was funded by the National Lottery Community Fund and Epic Projects, or the Ecumenical Project for International Cooperation. Epic is a US-based non-profit organization. Epic creates bonds among caring people devoted to solving global challenges of poverty, food insecurity, environmental degradation, human rights, and making peace. Please go and visit their website, epicprojects.org. And if you really enjoyed this episode, please go rate and subscribe. Leave us a little review even. It really helps the podcast grow.